welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 16, Mosiah Chapter 4-6, through A Mighty Change. Jonathan Neville is a lawyer, businessman, educator, and author who has written over 40 books, including both nonfiction and fiction. We're really excited to have Jonathan Neville back with us. He recently spoke at the virtual expo that we post online at comefollowme2020.org. Listen in as he discusses Does Church History Matter? and The Joyful Evidence of the Book of Mormon, a little bit from the 27 trips he's taken since last November. He and his wife Beverly have been on some pretty exciting adventures in Asian countries especially. In this episode, Jonathan will discuss why is there one Camorra and what his research has shown about some facts in church history that few members of the church even know. Welcome to another edition of our uh, Come Follow Me supplemental series podcast. And and we have uh, with us here Jonathan Neville, mm-hmm. and we're excited about uh, talking with you about some additional information that has to do with the place where the plates were actually located. Right. And uh, and and then this 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 place called Camorra mm-hmm. that is mentioned numerous times throughout the Book of Mormon as the place where the Jaredites had put their record and so forth, yeah. and where their, their their civilization came to its end, where the Nephite civilization came to its end. Um, and then there's, uh, and then and prophets and apostles have, have over and over again right. talked about this, this hill in Palmyra, New York area, mm-hmm. um, as being that hill. There are some um, scholars, basically, uh, in the church who disagree with the prophets and what Joseph Smith said, basically, right. about these things. They say, well, wait a minute, but you're saying... Uh, but uh, but what's interesting is that there's been a, a, a f- new information that hasn't really been. It, it's always been there. It's not widely known. Yeah. It, but it's okay. not widely known. Right. But I think there's actually been a deliberate effort to try to actually um, withhold this information mm-hmm. from members of the church because it basically blows away that 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 uh, scholarly idea mm-hmm. that the Book of Mormon's Hill Camora is someplace down in Central America right. and not the Hill Camorra in New York. Yeah. So for our reference today, we're going to be talking about uh, several pages that are in the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon. Uh, if you go back in the uh, the appendices here, uh, this start, starts on page uh, 512 and then goes several pages. You actually have uh, Oliver Cowdery's Letter 7, which is what we're going to be talking about here uh, more in detail, and so it's all in here. If you already have the Annotated Book of Mormon, if not, go get your copy. <laughs> you get a copy from Desert <laughs> yeah. Book or Costco or our website at bookofmormonevidence.org, or there, there's other places as well. Um, and getting yourself a copy, and then uh, then it goes into um, so there's about four pages of that. Then uh, excuse me, five pages of that. Then there's then we have a whole section on prophets and apostles speak on the Hill Camorra in America, and that starts on page five seventeen. And has uh, statements here from James E. Talmadge and uh, George Albert Smith, Orson Pratt, uh, Ezra Taft Benson, um, that talks about the Hill Camorra Monument, uh, that would, and, and how that came about, and what what happened on the day of that, mm-hmm. and some of the revelations and things that happened there, the description of the Hill Camorra Monument by uh, Torley Canapas, who is the sculptor and designer, and then uh, and then it goes an introduction to the maps in Moroni's America. Right. So let's go into this really. Uh, so in, in a little, little bit more detail here. So, uh, Oliver Cowdery's Letter 7. Mm-hmm. Most members of the church 
We're going letter what? Yeah. And Oliver Cowdery right. did who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, they don't know anything about so it. That, give us some background on the well, on this, letter it, seven. Where did that come from? Well, it, it, it's interesting because uh, a few decades ago, most members of the church knew about this. In fact, I have an institute manual, seminary manual, that talks about letter seven right in it. Oh, but wow. it was, and I maybe okay. during a break I can get it and show you. But it was, uh, I think that one was copyrighted in the 1970s. And since then, that's all been what I call decorrelated. <laughs> Uncoordinated? <laughs> yeah. No, decorrelated. Because it was correlated at one time. Now it's decorrelated. Okay, it's so de- it's not allowed it's anymore. Okay. But what, what happened is, the history of this is interesting because in 1834, there is an anti-Mormon book called Mormonism Unveiled that was published in yeah. near Kirtland, Ohio. The very first one, wasn't it? It was the first major one, yeah. yeah. And there had been articles and things, right. but critical. But this was a compilation of... An actual book. Uh, yeah, an actual book. Yeah. And it one of the things that it included was an assertion that the Book of Mormon was fiction, that it was copied from Solomon Spaulding. And so in response to that, this was it was published, as I recall, in October of 1834. And in response to that, Joseph and Oliver realized that they had never written down the history of the church and never published it anyway. Mm-hmm. And so they began writing a series of essays. They, they ended up writing eight essays that were published. They were published Joseph as letters. And Oliver. Joseph, well, Oliver was the main writer. He was, and, okay. and, but he said Joseph Smith uh, helped him with it because he didn't know a lot of that. Joseph was the only one who knew about Ronai's visit and other things, but Oliver wrote about his own experience as well. So so there's things in there that only Joseph Smith knew, so clearly Oliver was getting that information from Joseph. Right, and he said that right in there. But Oliver started off by talking about his own experience when he first met Joseph Smith, how John the Baptist came, and and most members of the church are familiar with this part of this first essay because it's in the Pearl of Great Prize. It's a footnote at the end of Joseph Smith's history. And it's the one that starts, these are days never to be forgotten, and so on. Yeah, yeah. And so that, most members of the church have at least read that, if they've studied the scriptures at all. <laughs> but they don't realize that this was only part of the first of eight essays. And so in in the second so, essay... So how long are these essays typically? They're, well, they vary in, in length, but they're three or four, or maybe seven or eight pages, depending, okay, so on, not, depending like, on the format. Or, okay. they're, yeah, they're not books. Okay. They were published as a book, though. The eight essays were compiled and published as a pamphlet in England in 1844. And then they've been, okay. um, they've been republished many times since. In fact, after the last one was published in uh, 1835, Joseph had his scribes copy it into his journal. So you can read them in the Joseph Smith papers today, right out of Joseph's journal. Okay, so let me make sure I got this right. So basically... So Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery wrote it down because right. he, he was the guy that, that right. He was, he the was a scribe guy. anyway. He wrote the whole Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon, and so forth. So, so, so Oliver, yeah. you know, so clearly he knew. Not only was he the, the right. foremost knowledgeable person about how the translation happened, and all that, right. but he also uh, had been with Joseph all those months, and I'm right. sure you know you can imagine some of the conversations they probably had. Oh, yeah. you know about what Joseph Smith had been shown and so forth mm-hmm. and, and how this book is going to change the world and so right. forth um, but then in addition to that I mean you have uh, a guy who was there and, and and he's now writing this history right and he's using Joseph Smith as help right but people have said that well this is Joseph you know, Oliver Cadre was just expressing his own opinions about right. all this yeah, stuff I know so, Joseph <laughs> Smith had nothing to do with it 
Um, can you debunk that yeah. for well, I, I think mean, to some extent? I mean, was Joseph Smith involved with this, or was he not? Was this just Oliver Cowdery? No, he, clearly Joseph Smith assisted with it, but he he had his scribes copy it into his own history as part of his life story, which means that he had to have he completely with endorsed it. it. He completely endorsed it just one and, time. Then no, and then subsequently, and this was in 1835 when he had it copied into his his own history, but yeah. then in 1841, and yeah, in 1841 he told Benjamin Winchester to publish it in his newspaper in Philadelphia. That's the he Gospel gave it, Reflector. Right. Okay. He gave it to his brother Don Carlos to publish in the Times and Seasons. So you can read this right in the Times and Seasons in 1841. The Times and Seasons was kind of like the enzyme of its time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. basically, if, if Joseph Smith wanted yeah. information to get out to the membership of the church, that was his main vehicle to do it. Right. So, so Joseph so, Smith, not Oliver Cowdery, basically brought yeah. it to the Times and Seasons, and the Times right. and Seasons published these letters. Right, right. And so the the key point in uh, by the time he got to letter number seven, this is the one we're, we're going to talk about that relates to the Hill Cumorah, because uh, when you read Mormonism Unveiled, you can see all the reasons that they were saying the Book of Mormon was fiction. Mm-hmm. So Oliver Cowdery wrote these essays in the in the form of letters to W. W. Phelps, who was living in Missouri at the time, and he was describing where the Hill Cumorah actually was. And he says, this is on page, uh, what page is it? 514 in the Annotated Book of Mormon is a copy of letter 7. And he explains to him, if you go on the mail road from Palmyra down to Manchester, you pass this big hill on the left side. And he, he describes <laughs> he it in a lot detail, of detail. Yeah. yeah. But then he says that about a mile west of this hill uh, rises another ridge of less height. So if you go to the Hill Camorra today and stand on the top, and you look west, you, you see, see another ridge. Sure enough, it's about a mile away. Yep. And it's, he says, at about one mile west rises a ridge of less height running parallel with the former. In other words, the, the one you're standing on the Hill Camorra. Mm-hmm. Leaving a beautiful vale between, or valley. The soil is of the first quality for the country and under a state of cultivation, which gives a prospect at once imposing when one reflects on the fact that here, between these hills... The entire power and national strength of both the Jaredites and the Nephites were destroyed. So he explained it as a fact. So, so if, he said it was a fact, and right. Joseph Smith then had this, with those words, fact, right. published over and over and over yeah, again, right. including in his own personal right. journal. So you can read it in the Joseph Smith papers. Now, the, the interesting thing about this is, how would Oliver Cowdery know it was a fact? Well, he had said he'd been in the repository, <laughs> so he had been in the actual place that Mormon referred to in Mormon 6.6, 6, uh, chapter 6, verse yeah. 6, where all the Nephi records were. He's, so he knew he, it was he, a fact. He's seen it himself. He's plus, it. plus, a couple of years later, when Heber C. Kimball joined the church, mm-hmm. he knew about this. He'd heard about the Hill Cumorah. So he went to see the Hill Cumorah himself. And he said he could still see the embankments around the hill from the fortifications. And today, if you go there, there's I looked on a topographical map, and there's one little residue of it. It's kind of a triangular shape that you can still see on the topographical maps. But it's on private land, so we're not supposed to go on there. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) this, Uh but he goes on to say, in this this mile-wide valley, yeah, and it's right here. Mm-hmm. So, in this mile-wide valley between the Hill Camorra and the one to the west, he says, In this valley fell the remaining strength and pride of a once-powerful people, the Nephites. 
And then he goes on to say that he deposited, Mormon deposited, as he says on the 529th page. By the way, in the 1830. I'm holding in my hand here a a a a wonderful replica (laughs) of the the 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon. Uh, Why didn't he just give us a chapter and verse and and the book? Because in the Book of Mormon original, it didn't have that, so they actually had to go by page number. So they actually said, so this is on page. Page 529 is today Mormon 6.6. Yep. So he deposited, as he says, um, all the records in this same hill, Cumorah, which is Oliver knew because he'd been in there. He'd seen it. All and of then the he records. Says, all the records. That's all and, the Nephi and Jaredite records right, that he had. Right. And after he gave his small record to his son Moroni, so he deposited all the Nephi records in the depository and then gave the abridged record to his son Moroni. That's this right. stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, notice he says he gave his small record to some Moroni. He doesn't say he gave Nephi's record to Moroni. Yeah. He gave the abridged plates to Moroni. <laughs> yeah. Who, as it appears from the same, finished it and after witnessing the extinction of his people as a nation. So he explains it there. Then he goes on later to say this hill, the one we're talking about, the Hill Camorra in New York, same by thing. the Jaredites was called Rama. And by it, or around it, pitched the famous army of Coriantumur, their tent. And you can go on and read the rest. So the reason this is significant mm-hmm. is when Oliver Cowdery wrote Letter 7, he was the assistant president of the church. He was in the first presidency. Now, what, I mean, we don't have an assistant president of right. the church anymore. So what yeah. does that mean? Well, it means that if Joseph had become president of the church. So he was the next in line. He'd he was be basically what you'd consider to be the first council of the first presidency. Well, they had a first and second well, counselor, but the assistant yeah, president right. yeah. was senior in authority yeah. to yeah. them. And it turns out that the other two counselors both in different ways also approved of these letters. But the Hiram Smith was also an assistant president of the church. Mm-hmm. And after that, as I recall, there haven't been any more assistant presidents of the church. But at the time, the point is, when he wrote this, he was a prophet, seer, and revelator. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was the one who gave the charge to the Twelve Apostles when they were first ordained in 1835. So sometimes... People today think of Oliver Cowdery as, oh, he left the church, right? But at the time that this was written, he was a prophet, seer, and revelator in the first presidency, assistant president of the church. And yet scholars today say, well, he didn't know what he was talking about, or he was speculating and all this. So... But yet, they, but they, aren't, don't these same scholars basically use Oliver Cowdery's words in these same letters and other things to yeah, support well, their positions and their viewpoints? Only when it supports their viewpoints. <laughs> when it doesn't, <laughs> they say, hard. well, he, he missed this or he forgot that or whatever. So we don't need to get into the detail. I, yeah. I wrote a whole book about this to kind of, yeah, yeah, tell to kind of annotate. If you just read the letters, you don't appreciate the historical context. Yeah. Because you have to understand the Mormonism Unveiled book and the arguments there that Oliver Cowdery was responding to. So that's I annotated it here. I also have links on the webpage. You can just read them yourself for free in the Joseph Smith papers. Yeah. And that's what I recommend people do. Yeah. But the reason this was important is if the Hill Camorra is in New York, like Oliver said, then to figure out the rest of the geography, it has to start with the pin in the map of Camorra, right? Yeah, they, they, so in, in order for any any geography to be understood, you have right. to have certain things that are just like the anchors. Right. These are the anchor points. Yeah. You know, this is where this is, and if it doesn't fit, then yeah. everything else goes away. Right. <clears throat> so 
I got a, I had a challenge from my wife <laughs> after I, I pointed this out about the Hill Kamara. She said, well, where did all the other events take place, right? Yeah. And so, and you and I had talked about it. I yeah. talked to lots of people about it. I for for well, decades. You've studied this for a long time. Tell, yeah. Tell us a little bit about well, for about decades. Your overall study. It's yeah. Pretty profound. Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting because when I was in, uh, even in high school, I was mm-hmm. I wanted to know well, where did all this take place, right? And so, back then in high school, everybody said, "Well, Hillcomer's in New York, but." North America, it's kind of the Orson Pratt idea, the hemispheric, the hemispheric idea. idea yeah. That North America was the land of the Nephites, South America was the land of the Lamanites, and I was kind of like, okay, you know, it seems kind of There was weird, a lot of that back in the early days of the church. Yeah, too, there was. There people who believed in yeah. basically all of the Americas was yeah. the, the, the land of the and Nephites. And a lot of it is because the neck of land yeah. was described in the culture at the time as Panama. Yeah. And so when the Book of Mormon used that same phrase, everybody assumed it was Panama. Joseph Smith never said that, but other people made that inference. And so I took the, um, I started with First Nephi, you know, and all the way through in that Moroni's America book to see, I was testing the Book of Mormon to see if it made a description of a geography that would fit with New York as Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised to see how well it described North America. And, and I went through it verse by, by verse. I didn't accept anybody else's interpretation. I just read the text for myself. Mm-hmm. And I had three basic rules of interpretation. One was that different words mean different things. Like a, a narrow neck is not the same as a small neck. Otherwise, they'd use the same word. Which is not the same as a narrow passage. Yeah, right, exactly. So, right. Or even a narrow neck of land. It's not the <laughs> yeah. same as a narrow neck, right? <laughs> and then another one was I assumed that uh, geographical terms that looked relative in, gra- in grammar are relative. So a land northward and a land southward is relative to where the speaker is. Like we're sitting here in Provo. If we were down in St. George, this would be the land northward. If we're in Salt Lake, it's the land southward. And so whenever you read those those terms in the Book of Mormon, you have to they understand where they're at. Where they're, yeah, what they're referring to is the center, mm-hmm. to have a land northward and a land southward. So that can change over time. And the third was... I assumed that the Nephites traveled mostly by water, by rivers. And that's because ancient people traveled by rivers. And it explains, as just a small detail, several times there's accounts of people fleeing and someone's chasing after them and they lose them right away. Mm-hmm. But if you're following someone through dense foliage, you're not going to lose their trail, right? <laughs> but if, you're, if they're on a river, you lose them at the first turn. Because there's always different branches of a river, and you can lose people immediately, and there's no tracks. So that's an example of how you can understand the Book of Mormon much better with those three assumptions. And understand it as a conveyance. In fact, um, uh, in, in, in the annotated Book of Mormon here, we have a page of the beautiful um, Yeah, the painting of it. Of the painting. And tell us a little bit more yeah, about that. Yeah, that's pretty painting. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find because, it while you... Okay, because... <laughs> When when Mormon was a young boy, Amaron said he he noticed that he was uh, you know uh, wise or not, well not wise what was the word he used anyway he's <laughs> well he was he was young but yeah, he was young yeah. but he he noticed that he was paying attention to what was going on essentially yeah. and he said when you're 24 years old you need to go and get these records and keep update them with what you've sober. observed in your life yeah sober mind something like that yeah a sober child so. So his father took him on a field trip, and he, he they left from the area around Camorra, which is roughly in upstate New York, western New York, 
and went all the way to Zarahemla. And mm -hmm. along that, and I think he, the reason he did that was so he could show his son the entire you know, territory of the Nephites so that he would understand the record better, just like we take kids on field trips today. If we take him to Washington, D.C., so they understand American history. So Mormon's father took him on this field trip, and it says he carried him, right? He carried his, yeah. but he didn't literally hold him and carry him. He conveyed him. They went on a boat down the river, basically down the Ohio River to the Mississippi and then up to Zarahemla. And so along this, this trip, yeah, there's there's a painting of this on page 432 in the Annotated Book of Mormon. Yeah, it's by Ken Corbett. It's just absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Mormon was carried by my father to the land of Zarahemla. So they, they went down this river, the Ohio River, essentially, to the Mississippi River. He saw all the lands of the, of the Nephites, and that was the border between the Lephite, Nephites and the Lamanites, so that he could understand the whole history of the Nephites. And apparently, almost everywhere they went, I mean, he was seeing yeah. city after city yeah. after town. After, that's right. And they were all along the rivers. All along that's, the rivers. Ain't, that's how it was. That's how people I mean, You yeah. needed to have water. It had fish. It had right. transportation. Yep. And so, and this painting kind of depicts yeah, all that. Exactly. It's awesome. So you just defend that those areas along the sides yeah. of the rivers, and, and so Amaron yeah. took him and, and conveyed him, basically, mm -hmm. like you're saying. So the really cool thing, we don't have time to get into the whole geography right. of it, but what's exciting about this is when you read through the Book of Mormon, and you can interpret it multiple ways. That's why you have some people who say it took place in Chile, Peru, Panama, Mesoamerica, Baja California, Eritrea, you know, Malaysia. You can, you can interpret a text to mean lots of different things. Yeah. And so people like down there, I hate to say Book of Mormon Central, but those people claim <laughs> Book of Mormon what? Book of Mormon Central, America. <laughs> Central America. But, but yeah. they, they claim that they stick with the text. And that's a, a completely preposterous idea because they don't stick with the text. They stick with their interpretation of the text. Yeah. And, and everybody that has an idea is interpreting the text. And so as soon as you liberate yourself from someone else's interpretation and read it for yourself, yeah. you can make sense of it. And, and that's why this Hill Kimura as a pin in the map is so critical. Yeah, and let me just make a, just a little comment. In, yeah. in, in, in one of the previous podcasts, talking about the uh, Lehi's dream uh -huh. of the Tree of Life and so forth, right. and he, there was a, there was a guy, and he was following the guy, and then he got, right. but then then you know he he basically kind of got lost in the in the, yeah. in the in the in the in the mist of darkness, basically. Right. It wasn't until he stopped looking at the guy. Yeah. and put his eyes on the tree yeah. that he right. then was able to make that himself and, and realize that I yeah. have to find my own way to the tree. That's right. So what we're saying, I think, here is, is that my brothers and sisters, you know, we are here to share information mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, um, but you shouldn't take our words exactly. yeah. or any scholar's words. Right. I don't care if they're from BYU or whoever they're from. If they, if they go against what the scriptures themselves Say yeah. or what the prophets and apostles, you know, have have, have said, you yeah. know, by revelation and so forth. Um, yeah. You can set them aside. Well, you you make up your own mind. And so the yeah. the point though is yes. that if you start with the Hill Cumorah in New York, the Book mm -hmm. of Mormon fits perfectly in North America. It does. It's beautiful. And, and that's yeah. that's the, the gist of it. So the, the follow up question though is why are we looking in Central America, right? <laughs> yeah. And that there's really two answers to that. The first is that there were articles published in the Times and Seasons in 1842 
that refer to ruins in Central America as Book of Mormon ruins. Yeah, people say, well, Joseph Smith was the author, the writer, he he, he sat there and set every every piece of type on that press and everything. I mean, that's what you get from the, from the, from the end plate, basically, yeah. uh, on every right. edition of the Times well, and the, Seasons. The, the Times and Seasons, at the very end, the boilerplate said, the Times and Seasons is edited, published, and printed by Joseph Smith, essentially. Yeah. There were two Personally, different ones. Like, yeah. but, but no one believes he ran the operating or operated well, in fact, the printing press. we know that press. he wasn't. <laughs> well, he, he would have to <laughs> set type. If he printed the Times and Seasons, he'd have to <laughs> set the type and run the press. And so he was yeah. a nominal printer, which means in name only. Yeah. Just like he was a nominal editor, he never edited anything in there. Right. The only thing he contributed to it were things like the what we call the Wentworth letter, which was called Church History at the time. That which he was attributed he signed. to him. Yeah. Well, he signed and it. his signature on it. And, yeah. and there are a few other things that he signed. The rest of it he had no involvement with. Yeah. And so that, when I was interested in what happened, where did these articles come from that talked about Central America, it led me into the whole Benjamin Winchester saga, which we don't have time to talk about today. But from there, it was, the other interesting thing there is that those articles were never cited for for decades because everybody realized they were just kind of speculation. Yeah. But no one, none of those articles questioned the Hill Camorra in New York. No one ever right. questioned that. Right. That was always a given. That was always a given until the late 1800s. And mm-hmm. in the late 1800s... So who started this Yeah, the, this Hill Camorra thing is real interesting because... When, after Joseph Smith died, there was a schism in the church, and Brigham Young became the successor for most of the members of the church, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And he went out to Utah. A lot of the saints followed him, but others stayed in. They followed James Strang. Um, some followed uh, Martin Harris, not Martin right. Harris, Sidney Rigdon for a while. Right. And then there was, uh, when Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, they asked him to become the leader of the church, and he didn't feel like he was supposed to do that until he turned 27 years old. Yeah. When he turned 27 years old, he reorganized the church. That's why it was called the Reorganized Church. And okay. there, well, let me get into yeah, they did this, I, yeah, I will, yeah. because there became a very fierce competition between the Reorganized Church and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Utah. And one of the issues they fought over was polygamy. Mm-hmm. And, and another issue was um, the Hill Cumorah. Because the the reorganized church had scholars who said that when they studied the Book of Mormon, it had to be in Central America, and but Hill Cumorah in get New York. That idea from? Well, that's a longer story. We don't have time you know, to get the, all the, the, into. And just, let me just give it okay. a little a little quick key here okay. because because back in Joseph Smith's day, there were people, and that, and I, and I want to mm-hmm. bring this up because this is this is an in depth in yeah, depth study. Yeah. Okay. But, it's, but uh, basically, there were three individuals back in Joseph Smith's day. One of them we call the smoking gun because his name was Benjamin right, Winchester right. and Winchester yeah. being a gun, right? right. <laughs> so so uh, Benjamin Winchester, John Page, and uh, Joseph Smith's little brother, William. Right. These three guys colluded to put those articles right. in the times and seasons that right. you were mentioning before. Yeah. Um, and then, and, and that happened about three different times. And each time that happened, Joseph Smith kind of ratcheted up the his response to what they had done. The first time, he basically kind of slapped their hands and so forth. The second time it happened, he, he told uh, Benjamin Winchester that, uh, that he he was silenced from any further preaching. Yeah. Okay. And, and, but that's that's more detail than I wanted to get right, into right. because the the, but, the, the point, point is that the point okay. is, is that the Central America theory yeah. basically started at Joseph Smith's yeah. time. 
but then it kind of died out. Um, well, okay, not really. Let me let me let me, our, uh, let me address yeah. that real quick. Okay, yeah. Okay, Benjamin Winchester and these guys were very zealous missionaries, and so they thought that if they alluded to the Central American ruins, it would get people to read the Book of Mormon. Right. Which because is it's exactly the New York Times best-selling book right. about the Central American right. ruins exactly. called "Incidents yeah. of Travel in Central America." Right, and so that became generally accepted in the church. Yeah. That that's where this hemispheric idea came up, and so the um, as I was saying, these RLDS scholars said, "Well, okay, if if the Book of Mormon took place in Central America, then the Hill Cumorah is too far away." Yeah, there's no way it's four thousand miles. So away. therefore, it has to be in Mexico. And in 1917, one of the scholars named uh, Hills, his last name was Hills, L.E. Hills, published a map that showed the Book of Mormon sites all in Central America, including the Hill of Camorra. Is it 1917? 1917, yeah. And Joseph Fielding Smith, who was a church historian and an apostle for 20 years, said, well, that's ridiculous because the Hill of Camorra is in New York. And he wrote an editorial about all this. In the meantime... Joseph F. Smith was trying to purchase the Hill Camorra in New York, and the RLDS <laughs> are saying, no, it doesn't matter because the real Hill Camorra is in Mexico. <laughs> so it was this tension between those two that kind of led to this problem. The church ultimately did buy the Hill Camorra in New York, yeah. and then the, the, the RLDS right. church could point at them and say, see, look at those knuckleheads. Yeah, that's <laughs> they, right. they bought the wrong that's hill. Right. That's right. <laughs> and so it's, it's interesting when you read the, the the teachings of the Brethren in General Conference, they reaffirmed the Hill Camorra yeah. in New York, at the same time the RLDS were saying, no, it's in Mexico. Then, okay. roughly in the 1950s or so, some LDS scholars started saying, well, maybe the RLDS are right in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so they, they developed a theory and a geography and everything, which kind of culminated in um, John Sorensen's books about Central America, which most of the LDS scholars now have accepted as as de facto the, truth, yeah. that there's two Camorras, they call it. They said they recognize that Joseph and Oliver and the other brethren all identified the Hill Camorra in New York, but they're saying, well, that was just a false tradition because the real Hill Camorra is in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, and so basically they've, they've adopted the RLDS position and they've rejected what, what the brethren have taught. And so as a result, and, and the thing that's interesting mm-hmm. for me is that the people at Book of Mormon Central and the Interpreter and BYU Studies, all those people who promote this Mesoamerican two Camorras, which I call M2C, mm-hmm. they have the same motivation that Winchester and William Smith had because they think they're doing missionary work. They think they're think promoting they're faith. Questions about the book yeah, and and yet what they're teaching is that the prophets were wrong. So when, Oliver Cowdery didn't get it right. Well, not only Oliver Cowdery, all the his own others. Own opinion. Yeah. Everyone, all the other, including members of the First Presidency and General Conference, they were all wrong because these scholars know better. Well, how, how could these scholars basically have so much influence that it actually now that you see yeah, this stuff? Yeah. I mean, we have, like, yeah. for example, the, 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 even saints, the new history yeah. of saints. I mean, they, they completely yeah. scrubbed the, the, the word Camorra right out of, the, out of the book. It's not yeah. even in saints yeah they changed church history to accommodate this and, and, they, and you actually thing. kind of called them on that and they, yeah. and, and they said well yeah well, well it had nothing to do with this geography stuff and then, and then they said right. no we're actually we're trying to be geography neutral right and you know that there's some people who don't believe that that's the hill the hill Camorra in new york is yeah. the actual hill yeah and so we're trying to accommodate them yeah but my feeling is is these are church historians 
they're not supposed to be trying to pick winners and losers right. on the geography side. Right. They should be telling us what the history says. Yeah. And instead, they're literally changing the history to accommodate this idea yeah. of the Book of Mormon, yeah. Hill Camorra being in Mexico right. someplace. Yeah, that's right. So my, my, the, the gist of my effort in all this is to say no one has to believe what these scholars say. We're not bound. We, we never sustained the scholars, right? Mm-hmm. But we should read and study what the prophets have said and what the scriptures have said. And as long as we stick with that, we won't be misled. You know, right. even it, when the scholars tell us that the prophets were wrong, we can be misled by the scholars, right? right. But when the prophets are as clear as they have been about it, I stick with that. And the nice thing, the, the really cool thing about it is that. What the prophets taught about the Hill Cumorah is corroborated not only by the text of the Book of Mormon that describes North America, but by all the archaeology, anthropology, geography, geology. Yeah. All the sciences corroborate what the prophets have taught. Not, not only that, but to me, the most powerful thing is is that the, that the United States is the promised land. It is the covenant nation. Yeah, right. And, that's been, and that has been upheld over and over and over again. Yeah. Again, regardless yeah. of what some scholar, even if they're from BYU, right. says— it doesn't change the fact that the United States is the promised land. This was originally the land yeah. of of Adam and Eve. This is where the Jaredites, right. the Nephites, and so forth. And, it was, and this this covenant has existed the whole time. Well, for for purposes of this, though, yes. what what I want to encourage the readers to do is yes. learn a little bit about the, how the Book of Mormon fits in North America because it completely changes our understanding of the text. That's exciting. It's exciting and it's cool. It's the history of ancient America, and it's. It, it's ancient North America, which would otherwise be completely unknown because they didn't have written records. Yeah. The only written records that they had were destroyed by the Lamanites and preserved in the Hill Camorra in New York. Which is another, I, I think it's just a fascinating aspect that you have brought up. Yeah. And that uh, people have said, well, the Book of Mormon couldn't have happened in North America because you have pe- there's no record of people who are literate. Yeah, I know. Because there's, yeah. No, there's, there's no writings and so forth. Right. But down in Central America, we got writings all over the place. Every right. wall has writings and every... You know, uh, every edifice yeah. and so forth has writings on it, which actually is kind of funny because it, it shows that that's not the Nephites' right. people. That's right. Because according to the Book of Mormon, the Lamanites were absolutely bound and determined to destroy any aspect of that's their right. history. That's right. They would have had to destroy all of those walls and all those frescoes and all of those edifices and so forth. They yeah. have all this writing all over it. And instead, in North America, it matches exactly what the Book of Mormon that's said, right. that yeah. the Lamanites were determined to destroy their history. That's right. But the history of the Mayans is all over everything. Yep. <laughs> I know. know. It's, it's so funny how... But I, I want to I make sure yeah. that we, we're clear about one thing, that people can believe whatever they want. Absolutely. You, people can have a strong testimony of the Book of Mormon, even if they believe Mesoamerica or Peru or, or Chile or, or where? <laughs> Easter Bunny. Well, but I mean, the geography is not what drives a testimony. True. The reason I think it's important is, for me, the whole Mesoamerican thing is not even believable. And therefore, it, it's it, doing damage to yeah, the church. Well, yeah. In, in my and so, opinion. Yeah. And, and it forces people like uh, BYU and CES to create these fantasy maps where they're teaching the kids the Book of Mormon by a fictional map. And yet they're trying to tell them it's a real history, but it took place in a fictional area. And, so they, and, and they'd say, well, this, this, this fantasy map, basically, it, has, yeah. it meets every geographical requirement of the yeah. Book of Mormon, but it just doesn't happen to match up with any place on Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, what does that tell the kids? <laughs> I know. Oh, my yeah, gosh. I know. That this place and, and the sad doesn't thing really is, exist? 
The sad thing is that that fantasy map is based on the Mesoamerican and interpretation. Not, and, and how many how many pins in the map does that have? How many yeah. things can you say? Okay, this is a real world place, yeah. and this is where this was in the Book yeah. of Mormon. Zero. There's zero. Yeah. But the one place where we all should be able to agree, based on at least what Oliver Cowdery, which was with Joseph Smith and right. so forth, and, and every prophet in this dispensation. Right. And then, and, and, and numerous other you know evidences around and, and through the Hill Cumorah, right. um, basically all indicates that this was the place. Right. This is that pin in the map, and the fantasy map uh, that that is being used now is with CES and right. so forth. They basically yeah. are showing Hill Cumorah in some. Well, there's one, there's one other point to be clear on, too, and that is that we are not claiming any prophetic support for our theories whatsoever. Right. What we're trying to do is support what the prophets have taught. So mm-hmm. It's the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. And so, whereas at Book of Mormon Central, they're always claiming that they have the support of the church and that you know the brethren approve of what they're doing, which even though they're contradicting the church's policy. Position. And so that's that, yeah. it's important to recognize that too because we're not claiming the prophets support anything that we're saying. Instead, we're trying to support the prophets. And if you and if you want to find out for your sure for sure what the answer is, yeah. then ask. Yeah, try. Ask the Lord. That's right. You know, was was Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Smith wrong about the Hill Cumorah? Yeah. Was every one of these prophets was was the church wrong when they bought the yeah. actual hill in, in New York yeah. and called it the Hill Cumorah? Do, were they wrong to put up a, a visitor center right. there yeah. or to have a, a pageant there for you know many many, many <laughs> okay. years? Yeah. Well, let's leave, let's cut. We're probably <laughs> into overtime. But yeah. but the bottom line is we want people to make informed decisions. Don't just accept what someone says, even if it's in a lesson manual, because I have lesson manuals that show the Hill Cumorah is in New York, too. So study it for yourselves, make up your own minds, and primarily focus on the the scriptures themselves and what the prophets have taught. And that is the best advice. And then ask the Lord. Yeah. And by the way, if you you like additional information here, again... um, I, I didn't bring it up here, but uh, there's a DVD that uh, I was actually asked to do uh, about two about two and a half years ago or so. Um, that I was asked to go and, and speak to the pageant cast oh, right. members at the yeah. Hill Cumorah, mm-hmm. and they asked me, "So, what archaeological evidence is there? Yeah. What uh, right. what about the bones? Where's the hand plates? Where's the breastplates? You know, mm-hmm. how come the hill's so small? They talked about it being able to see all you know, this, yeah. this huge place and so forth. All of those questions yeah. have really beautiful answers." Um, if okay. you if you want to get that, um, that the, the the DVD is called the Hill Camorra. Yeah, you can put that up on verifications the and yeah verifications yeah. and uh, and uh, realistic archaeological expectations. Right. Um, also, I've talked about it at some of the events. So if you have Book of Mormon evidence streaming, you can see yeah. some of those things. You can also hear Jonathan talk. Yeah, about I've talked these about things. all the maps and everything there. And, uh, and you see the maps and you can and you get the information. Yeah. But okay, brothers and sisters, we just ask that you just uh, become as formed <laughs> as possible. Yeah. And then ask the Lord for uh, for yeah. verification, yep. and uh, that's the best way to do it. Very Jonathan, good. Jonathan, thank you so much for thank coming. Thank you. We sure Fun appreciate to be here. you. Happy God to be here. God bless you and all your travels and what you're Thanks. doing, and, and thank you. And, and by the way, uh, if you want to see Jonathan, uh, he's speaking again at the conference. Oh, that's on, right. Uh, that's right. So uh, it's going to be exciting, it's be exciting. To, uh, to, to see you there. Yep. Thanks, Look everybody. Um, we, we'll see you uh, next week with another edition of the uh, Come Follow Me podcast series by uh, Book of Mormon Evidence. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast. If you like this Come Follow Me supplemental study, 
click the like button and share it with your friends. Be sure to go to bookofmormonevidence.org, which is a hub with all the links that you would like to the podcasts, to upcoming events, the store, 200 plus answers about the Book of Mormon, as well as links to our streaming site, which now has over 100 new videos from our virtual expo. If you want to see the expo, go to comefollowme2020.org. And you can also see them on the streaming site, bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com.